Hello, and welcome to Fairfax 50 Plus, a series featuring discussions on issues of interest to residents 50 and over. I'm your host, Jim Person, and on this edition, we'll be talking to Devaki Das, a culinary teacher with Fairfax County Public Schools Adult and Community Education Program, and the food columnist for the county's Golden Gazette. Now, aside from writing and teaching, she organizes boutique travel for like-minded foodies. This is Devika's second visit to the program. She's going to tell us about upcoming culinary classes and then tell us about Balsamico of Modena, but I don't think I'm pronouncing it near as well as she will when she says it. But anyway, a staple for everyday discerning cook. It's better known as black gold in, in Italy. So, uh, Devika, uh, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Uh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Second time guest and more information to share. That's the reason we had you back. We couldn't get it all into the first one. And What can I tell you? The more we live, the more we learn. Lots of stuff to talk about food. But before we get into that, uh, adult and community education program, ACE program, we've had several guests on the Fairfax 50 Plus podcast talking about it before. But if we've got some new listeners now that are just joining us on Fairfax 50 Plus, can you give us a, a little overview of the adult and community education program, kind of what it is, what its purpose is, and that kind of thing? Um, we uh, ACE has been around for 60 years, and uh, we are committed to learning uh, as a lifelong journey. Mm. And you'll find that we have a variety of uh, programs and offerings um, ranging from business and computers and career and apprenticeship and driver's ed for uh, young Mm -hmm. adults. But really, um, what I sort of try to spearhead at ACE is the enrichment uh, portion of it. Mm -hmm. And I think we really do live up to our name Mm -hmm. because um, it doesn't matter what you're looking for in terms of a passion or an interest you'd like to fulfill. Uh, It's all about broadening horizons. Mm. And we offer everything, with enrichment programs especially, um, we offer everything from needle arts and crochet and um, world history and information on um, military history, Hmm. uh, classical music appreciation. I'm super excited because our instructor with this this particular course has now started creating partnerships and understandings uh, with, for example, the uh, Manassas Symphony. And at the end of the theory, Mm -hmm. every time uh, the students get to go with him uh, and meet you know, musicians backstage and listen to a concert and they have a better understanding. Sure, sure. Because they now learned the theory just a few weeks ago. Right, So uh, what what I love about enriching programs is it's it's sort of without boundaries. Yeah. It it is truly uh, whatever will enrich us as human beings. True. And we take it all the way. Whatever the topic, whatever, yeah, just absolutely the the mind or the thought. It's it's unlimited. And and I I have to say I have the best job in the world because uh, I sort of don't always have to work within a box. Mm. Um, Somebody will come up to me or an instructor might say, hey, Deb, let's do this class. And. You think about it, and I'm like, oh, my God, that's a really right. great idea. So I, <laughs> I'll I, take that one. Yeah, I, I don't have to be incredibly smart. I just have to be a good right, listener. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that. I like that. Uh, I guess the culinary part of it, though, is kind of maybe, could I say, a passion kind of in oh, your area? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's probably, uh, besides hubby and the kids, it's probably the reason I wake right, up every right, morning. Right. <laughs> 
don't tell them that maybe they, maybe they won't listen. So, so the ACE Culinary Arts Program, talk about that a little bit. Right. Um, the ACE Culinary Arts Program is, uh, we are really diverse. Um, you know what's interesting about a culinary class is one is not like the other. Mm-hmm. And what distinguishes one from the other is not only the content, mm-hmm. but also what the instructor brings to the table. Just think about that for a minute. Mm-hmm. We all come with these incredible life experiences and backgrounds and stories. Sure. And we bring that into the classroom. Um, and what I think is really great for uh, the community is that we all have our own following as instructors. And that means that if you are a novice cook, there is an instructor out there at the ACE program for you that you can be really comfortable with. Mm. I tend to be, um, you know, uh, fun, dynamic, oh, but fast-based because we do traditional. I would have never have guessed that. Oh, <laughs> what do you mean? I'm so demure. I have no opinions. <laughs> but that, I think that makes a good teacher, though. Right. Uh, I, I, I think that um, I think there's a lot to be said about instructors who are dedicated yeah. and then they just work, you know, uh, they do what they do best. And yeah. I think ACE allows them to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a gift. Mm-hmm. I think that's special. Mm-hmm. What uh, what kind of classes do you do you teach? And, and is there a favorite one that you have? Uh, you mean me personally yeah, as an yeah, instructor? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, that would be like trying to pick a child. Right. That is impossible. I'll tell you why. The one you're teaching now is your favorite, right? <laughs> right. Well, actually, it has you know more to do with the fact that the world's a really big place. And what I find is the more I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know. Hmm. And, you know, I've been teaching for and actually learning and cooking for, I, I want to say, about 38 years now. Hmm. I started very, very young. I started when you were one. Well, right. Thank you. <laughs> More like eight. But um, the the point is, uh, there is not a cuisine that I, you know, go into the villages and teach with uh, or learn with local cooks. And I come back and I think, my goodness, what a different way to approach rice. Mm. Or I would have never thought to add saffron here at mm. this point in the recipe. And I, I think what I love about the culinary program and right. the culinary arts is it never stops surprising and you mm. never stop learning. Mm-hmm. And that means every time I'm in the classroom, it's fresh content. Oh, interesting. You know, like right. I, I love doing Portuguese. I'm doing uh, a class. And then sometimes we're just lighthearted. Like I'm doing a summer fun with bacon. Um, oh. You know, not Ooh. everything has to be yeah. grandma's recipes and Nanya's recipes. Sometimes we could just have a little fun. We could right. do like roasted potatoes and do a little bacon and a little pesto and a little peas. And voila, you have a, like a you delicious had, you had me at bacon. side. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait till you put maple on it and oh, brown yes. sugar. And then oh, it gets really gosh, good. Yes. Mm, got me hungry here. So me... You know, I'm one, there's a recipe in front of me, and I have to measure everything to the T, and I have to follow this, and if one step's out of order, I get all flustered and confused. Um, how do you go about teaching your classes? Is it you follow this recipe, or is it the recipe's a guideline, or there's no recipes? I mean, how, how do you go about teaching? That's the- a really good question, because, you know, I've often, it's really interesting, you know, you're standing in front of a classroom, and you've got about 18 people in front of you, or 16, and you can always spot the ones that are all about the mise en place. It's all about you know, everything, well, it's said a quarter teaspoon, right. Dad. and everything's lined exactly. up right here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think the first thing I do is I try to break them out of that. Hmm. 
because what I what, what I say, what I believe is, uh, I have a paradigmatic approach. Maybe it's because of my training as an architect, but it's a paradigmatic approach to cooking, and that means we're trying to get to an end, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and everything from the beginning to that point is a sliding scale. Mm. There are key moments in the recipe you need to be aware of, mm -hmm. that you need to know what to look for, because it will determine success or failure. And I feel that's my job, mm -hmm. is to say, hello, wake up, an extra shot of espresso, please. But this is the point at which, if you don't do this, we're going to have a problem. And I think that's the difference between coming to a class and sitting with a cookbook. Mm -hmm. Because there's nobody who's shouting from the pages of the cookbook right, right. that says, hello, uh-uh, I can smell that. That's not right. right. Um, it shouldn't smell this way or it shouldn't look this way. So I, I, t I tend to have a paradigmatic approach because I feel that, you know, parameters are often never in our control. And what I mean by mm -hmm. that is I have a different pot. You have a different pot at home. Right. Our ovens are calibrated differently. Yeah, yeah. Our stoves are not the same. If I give you a recipe and you're just going to follow it, you'll never succeed hmm. because the parameters have shifted. Interesting. The pair that in my on my stove, in my uh, Sorlatab, whatever, you know, uh, really heavy bottom pot. Mm -hmm. um, at the Ace Kitchen, we have Sorlatab, which is why I mentioned it. Um, takes 10 minutes on your stove. Mm -hmm. uh, might take 25. Right. So if you're following a recipe, does that mean that you're going to take it off the stove raw? Right, right. And people do. And I think that's where... Because that's what it said. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's why it's... I think that's why what we do is so special. Right. It's because we give... It's all about empowerment, giving yeah. you the tools. Yeah. If you understand the process and where we're trying to get to, you will know how to tweak the steps in the middle. Hmm. And that's how I do it. Is there a general rule that I should... Uh, when I'm you know, following the recipe... Is there are there general rules like maybe underdo this amount of spice or salt or pepper versus overdo or are there are there some general guidelines when looking at a recipe that I should maybe Ab think about? Absolutely. Um, oh, that's so funny. That's such a good question. Wow. Okay. You know, you to mention salt. Um, whenever you know. Uh, nearly all recipes say start with onions and saute onions yeah. and garlic and whatnot, right? That's salt and pepper. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you should always add salt with the onions, even if a recipe never, 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 ever says that. You okay. should always add salt. And here's why. Because, you know, at the end of the day, cooking is all about uh, chemistry. It's all about that periodic table. Hmm. And what you're doing is at a molecular level, when you add salt to the onions, you're increasing the charge on the outside of the onions hmm. and what are the molecular level. And what's that what that's doing for you is it's drawing the moisture out of the onion. I heard that, yeah. And what that does is you end up with a softer, sweeter onion. Hmm. I always tell uh, folks in class, look, if you if if you have no life and you're doing nothing on a Friday night, take two saucepans and do onions with the salt and without the salt, and one may look soft. But when you bite into it, it will not be sweet. It'll have a little, um, <clears throat> it'll have a little bite to it. Interesting. The one with the salt will be sweeter right, and right. softer. So that's one of the rules I always right. say. It doesn't matter whether it's my class or my recipe or somebody else's. Always add the salt with the onions. So that's 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 a good tip. Me, whatever little cooking I do. I tend not to ever add salt because I'm, you know, kind of high blood pressure worried. But I'll add a lot of pepper 
<laughs> so, so that you know, you're talking about different cooks. So that's one thing I need to get in the habit of when I do cook. It's not very often is being more um, agreeable to use salt, because I, I figure people, if they mm-hmm. if it doesn't taste good, they can add salt when it gets on their plate. You know, it's interesting. Salt plays such an important role in the way the palate works. Mm-hmm. If your food, I often tell folks at class, if your food tastes like something's missing, do nothing. Most people will add, uh, will go reach for that spice rack. Yeah. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. That's not the right way to go. A quarter teaspoon salt and then recheck it. Hmm. Because what salt sort of balances flavors out. Hmm. Something that has a little low on salt will subdue the other flavors. Gotcha. So that's really and I, I and often I, I find that if you don't have a lot of processed food in your uh, diet and mm. in your cooking, salt is not usually an issue because most of us are not adding gotcha. a tablespoon of gotcha. salt in our food. It's more like a teaspoon, teaspoon and a half, two at the most if right. you're cooking six pounds of pork or whatever. So. The point I'm trying to make is <clears throat> unless you're having a can or, or uh, canned food or mm-hmm, processed mm-hmm. food every meal, um, I think we, we tend to, right. we should be okay with the salt. Right. Well, and, and my pet peeve, before I ask you this next question, my pet peeve is someone who sits down, gets their stuff ready, and immediately grabs the salt and puts on their plate before they even taste. <laughs> Absolutely. Because I, I would find that Don't quite insulting that. as a cook. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... Wow, judgment before. Right, yeah. Taste it first and see if you need it. Um, we talked about recipes and ingredients, but if I've got something to follow, and we've already determined that it's, you know, it, it's a guideline or maybe a little bit more than a guideline, but, you know, there's some leeway. How important are the ingredients that that recipe calls for uh, to the success of the meal? You know, it's it's that, I have to tell you, you really do have an act of asking great questions because... The I found that the simpler a recipe, the more the more important two things become. Mm-hmm. One is the technique. Mm-hmm. A simpler recipe, there's always this one itty bitty thing. You know, like I, I, I love doing a great octopus salad from Sicily. Interesting. It's like one of my favorite things in the world oh. is polpo. I mean I will that's one of the things I love about Europe is I can eat my weight in polpo. And that's a lot of polpo. <laughs> so but it's, it's knowing how to cook it. It's knowing that right at this point, even though the recipe is nothing but sliced pulpo or octopus with a little bit of beautiful olive oil and paprika, and that's all the recipe is, mm. is fantastic um, knowing that little trick. But So the more simple a recipe becomes, the quality of that ingredient is absolutely critical. The quality of, for example, in this recipe, the quality of that octopus or the quality of that olive oil. I will pull out my most beloved Sicilian olive oil for that one. Hmm. You know, so the quality, because because that's exactly the mouthfeel, the flavor, the way it bursts in your mouth. It's only three ingredients. How important is that? Um, So is, is that the reason there are so many brands and types of olive oil on the shelf? I mean, is there really a difference? Oh, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. There is such a difference. Um, and uh, in fact, a couple of years ago, I want to say about four years ago, I was in Sicily and <clears> worked <throat> with uh, this wonderful little uh, Azienda Agricola. And we saw the way amazing olive oil gets made and hmm. how, you know, people in Italy go to the old stone presses 
and it's very romantic mm. but as in the uh, in Mandranova in the Sicilian um, Asian Agricola Giuseppe was saying that's the cigar man okay don't be fooled he's the Vegas cigar man because once you get into the science behind making olive oil and you you learn about how light and water plays an important role in oxygen interesting um all of a sudden as romantic as the stone presses it doesn't give you the best oil oh, okay. so it's interesting yeah, right yeah, this blend absolutely. of right and the, and it's amazing how the more we learn the more we have respect for these ingredients right because once you know what gets into it what what makes it tick I think we make in more uh, we make better choices. We're right. more informed, and so we make better choices. Quick tip for our listeners: what what type of uh, olive oil should we get? Is there something we should look for? What's what's not necessarily a brand, but what are like, you know, virgin olive oil or like you know I don't know even how to ask the question. Well, that's a we you know that's an interesting question. Unfortunately, um, we we're not able to taste test our olive oils when we. You know, unless you're going to the Azienda Agricolas where right. they have, you know, just like uh, just like wines have different grapes, mm-hmm. there are different olives. So, you know, yeah. there's like Nocellara and Cesuarolo, and there are these different types of olives that give mm. you different kinds of oils. Okay. So interestingly enough, like personally me, I love the really deep green gold press. Mm. When, when, I, when you taste the olive oil, you sort of drink it and you put it in your mouth and then you go... You kind of suck it into the back of your mouth. Hmm. I mean, that's like literally. Right, right, right. I know it's not the most like in elegant company, but right. the point is, those flavors hit the back of your tongue, and the more green, the more pungent. Hmm. That's the olive oil I love. The really strong. Right. However, the Nocellara, for example, that grape perhaps would not be a very good fit for baking. For that, you would need a very mild. Gotcha. So okay, yeah, it depends. Yes, it depends okay. exactly okay. on what you're doing. And I wanted to make sure we we got to the thing we teased in the opening, and I want to let I want to let you say it because when we were talking before, I said we're going to make sure we talk about this, this, and this, and I said, you know, we're going to talk about Balsamico de Modena, and and you said, it, and I was like, holy cow. Yeah, the aceto di Balsamico de Modena. Wow, there you go. <laughs> 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 I don't even come close. But so tell me about that. Okay. So just to give you, you know, I, I know it sounds like this exotic ingredient, but we've all seen it on our supermarket shelves. Uh, this this term that's loosely thrown around, uh, balsamic vinegar. Mm-hmm. But there is a fundamental mm. difference between balsamic vinegar and traditional balsamic or tra- traditional balsamic vinegar. And let me explain. Mm-hmm. So there is this wonderful part of Italy, right, called Emilia-Romagna. It's right there. You've got, uh, it's right uh, north of Bologna, below Vicenza-Verona, just north of Florence. And it's the most fertile soil in Italy. Mm. And it's considered to be the cradle of food in Italy. Mm. And the three things we love, I mean, you, if if you love Italian cuisine, I know that this is going to ring a bell. The three things we love Prosciutto di Parma, right? Prosciutto, prosciutto di Parma, mm-hmm. um, and Parmigiano Reggiano, mm-hmm. and Balsamico all come from this region. Wow. So you can imagine, that's like, whoa. Right. Um, and what makes Balsamico so special is, you know, whenever I travel through Italy, uh, I have friends who will say to me, you know, we Italians, we don't know how to keep time. 
that's true. <laughs> they don't. But when it comes to the way they control their food, yeah. how dedicated they are to their craft, uh, there is no forgiveness there. There's no laxness. Right. And that comes through. So in this little town of Modena, there are 116 families who have been DOP certified, and I'll explain what that is in a minute, to create black gold, Modena's black gold, mm -hmm. balsamico. And I'll explain why it's known as black gold, too. And DOP literally translated into English is the protected designation of origin. Wow, okay. And it's a consortium. And what they do is, for example, if you decide to make balsamico, DOP certified balsamico, you wouldn't even be able to make it until you follow each and every DOP guideline. Hmm. And that begins with the soil. Wow. It begins with the watering, the kind of grape vines that you would plant. Right, right. So what what I find, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in love with balsamico, not just as an ingredient, but because of the romantic history. Hmm. Um, for, you know, it's just such such a lovely thing. Every time I pour it on my salad, I, I feel like I'm, there's a little part of history hmm. that, that stays with yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Did you know that traditionally balsamico, so just, you know, balsa, balsamico is made in what's called a bateria. It's basically these casks made of different woods. Hmm. So imagine, if you will, Russian dolls unpainted laying on their sides, the biggest one being 100 gallons and the smallest one being 10 gallons. And five of these makes a bateria. Hmm. So you, you see yeah, what I'm getting? Yeah, it's a five yeah. of these. A bateria gets started with the birth of a girl in the family, which I think is absolutely precious, mm -hmm. a daughter in the family. and. So the first step is when the family <clears throat> decides to start the tradition of balsamico with the, with the birth of the girl. Uh, the, of course, the harvest and all that is done. And then this grape, this grape is put in these huge vats over open fire, hmm. and they're reduced over open fire to what's called the grape must. Mm -hmm. No sugar added. Please note, no sugar added. This grape must is then poured into these vats. We just talked about them, the batteria. Mm -hmm. And they're filled to the top. Mm. And the only thing that happens after that is once a year, somebody will come and open up. They'll just pull up the little canvas cloth that mm -hmm. covers the mm -hmm. little square peg hole. And they'll say, oh, look, evaporation has occurred. Malolactic fermentation has occurred. And there's the, the level has dropped of the grape must. So they go out there. They harvest more grapes. They make more must. And they top up all the baterias. Huh. This goes on for 12 years. Wow. If you notice, 12 years, I said, that coincides with the little baby now blossoming into a young lady. Hmm. It's at the 12-year mark that the DOP sends their um, blind tasters. The balsamico is then tasted. And they will say, mm-mm, not ready. We'll be back next year. Wow. This goes on until the DOP tasters say, okay, now you're ready. Now, here's why it's known as black gold. You would think, wow, these guys must be getting real rich, right? Look at all of this balsamico sitting in all these. <laughs> well, it only took them 12, 13, 14 years to make. I mean, <laughs> Right, yeah. exactly. Oh, it can go all the way to 25. Oh, my gosh. There are families that have not been able to touch their balsamico for 25 to 35 years. Wow. Okay? So 
you know, so, which is why, I mean, you can imagine why this is part of the girl's legacy, yeah. right? The daughter's legacy. There's this amazing gift. Interestingly enough, um, every year, even though it may be DOP approved, you are only allowed to remove 4.25 cups equals to one liter of balsamico a year, which is why it's known as black gold. I would think so. Which is why it is sold only in four to eight ounce bottles. Wow. Because it is impossible to yeah. sell. This is not, you know, it's it's incredible, right? We know the price of everything, but we know the value of little, the more we live yeah. right, in this world. And it's fast-paced, and I tend to go towards the slow food because I think we have a responsibility to uphold these traditions, to allow these traditions yeah. to thrive. Yeah. Now, let me tell you, here's the kicker, right? And I'm going to interrupt you very quickly because okay. we're because we're, we're over time. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. I've just, Fascinating story. I've loved it. But go ahead. Okay. Just very quickly, let me just tell you. what The kicker is what differentiates this between commercial yeah. is commercial balsamic vinegar is made in steel vats, and it's only allowed to cure for three months. Mm -hmm. How can you even compare? You can't. Right. Three months versus 12, 14, 25 years. Right. But as much as we consume balsamic, uh, you know, vinegar, balsamic vinaigrette for salads and stuff like that, there, ha there is a fine line. You can't wait 12, 13, 14, 25, 30 years or whatever to get the product. So it has to be done faster. Yes, and thank, uh, you know. For God, commercial purposes. Right, and God bless Amazon.com or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I have to tell you. Um, so what's really great is that this has been, this is a heritage or a tradition that's been going on for a really long time. Yeah. So I tend to get, I tr tend to buy mine yeah. from Amazon. Um, just because it's easier to you know get yeah, get yeah. it out of Italy, yeah. because it can range uh, a mid range, which I have two types: a mid range in my pantry that I use every day sitting on the countertop. It's about thirty eight to fifty dollars a bottle. Wow! Uh, which you know compared to the six dollar, yeah. but you can tell why. You now that you know the story, you, you know why it, you would yeah. spend that. Wow. But then you've got the real black gold that's been uh, cured for thirty five years, and that's one hundred and fifty to two hundred and fifty dollars for four wow. ounces, and that's the stuff you use with a dropper. Right. No longer a <laughs> right. teaspoon or a tablespoon. <laughs> right. Oh, but that's that's all. Use you that need. for holiday meals too. That's all you need. Yeah. yeah. That's what's so special. Be remiss if we didn't talk about uh, the ACE program. I mean, we talked about it at the beginning, but at least give us some contact information. Is there a website, uh, telephone number? How can folks learn more about you know some of the culinary classes you teach, some of these other enrichment programs, et cetera? And, and obviously, we want to have you back again for for more of this. But tell us a little bit about uh, how to get in touch with ACE and and. Uh, take some of these programs ourselves. Well, wonderful. Um, well, the paper catalogs go out to all in uh, the Fairfax County, so definitely you know, take a peek into your mailbox. Um, other than that, you can find us online at aceclasses.fcps.edu. If you'd like to register for a class, our phone number is 703-658-1201. And uh, we have a Twitter, we're on Twitter, at FCPS underscore ACE ACE. Okay. It's been a real pleasure. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. I, I have fascinating stories. I was just intrigued. So thank you for being here. Absolutely. All right. Uh, unfortunately, we are we are way out of time on the this edition of Fairfax 50 Plus, but uh, hopefully we can get uh, David Key back with us to uh, uh, share some more fascinating stories. And maybe the next time you go, you can come back and give us a, a recap of your trip or something. Anyway. Wonderful. Thank uh, you. Again, to find out more about the ACE programs, uh, especially about the summer's courses, uh, it's aceclasses.fcps. Dot edu. 
You can also find out about uh, older adult services, recreation, community engagement opportunities within Fairfax County by calling 703-324-7948. That's TTY711, and that's Monday through Friday. Or you can go online 24-7 at fairfaxcounty.gov slash olderadults. When you're on that webpage, be sure to subscribe to the monthly Gazette newspaper, Golden Gazette newspaper, as well as Fairfax 50 Plus e-news. And from the fairfaxcounty.gov slash olderadults page, you can also link over to the Fairfax 50 Plus Facebook page. Thanks again for listening to Fairfax 50 Plus podcast, which is produced twice monthly by the Fairfax County, Virginia government.